the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's no such thing as casual sex. All such behavior has enduring consequences, even when there's a mutual agreement that there's no intention for any attachment. Because in God's eyes, there is. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with him. Now, here is Dr. Chen. As for our text this morning, as a believer, as a Christian, one of the most fundamental yet most complicated realities of the Christian life is our union with Christ. Complicated to really grasp for many ways because the, the physical reality, the biological union is hard to understand. And even the spiritual union in the light of the fact that we are such sinners and he is a holy God. And yet the scriptures are very clear that we are created in him. We are crucified with him. We are seated with him. We are part of his body. We are one flesh with him. We are found in him. And last week, we saw that we are unified in his resurrection. And despite being in union with him, we often do not have unity with him. That seems like a small lexical issue, but it's a big issue. In other words, though we are united with him in all the ways that I've just listed, we don't always behave as he desires. There is lacking a unity in will and desire. In other words, we sin. We pursue things that are not for his glory, not in service of others, not in service of the world. We are selfish. We are proud. That doesn't change who we are in Christ. That doesn't change the fact that our resurrection is with him, is united with him. It doesn't change the fact that we are created in him, seated with him, granted all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places as he is our brother in some respects. But it does change the fact that we are to be united in him in purpose and in action. This difference, this dichotomy is perhaps no more clearly seen in the born-again Christian who practices immorality. We're looking at the reality of the believer's physical body. And in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in the final verses, we're looking at a sermon series called God's Body, God's Choice, which means as the redeemed, our body, that we have the liberty to use it as we please We know that God has redeemed it and he will resurrect it one day and it is his body and we are to use it as he pleases. Today, specifically, we are looking at unity and union. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 18 will be our passage for the morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 18, and we find ourselves looking at Paul's words right in the middle of addressing sexual immorality. He writes, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he, God says, the two shall become one flesh. Verse 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. This is a temptation for many people. This is a temptation for people who think they would never be tempted by it or never be tempted by it again. This is a reality that is not removed because you're married. It's not removed because you're committed to singleness. It's not removed because you have no desire or interest in the opposite sex. But it is our union with Christ that is a good reminder, provides several reminders of why or even how we are to avoid sexual immorality when tempted. And so this morning, I'm going to give you a little bit of a wordy outline, but it's six facts. Six facts about our union with Christ to remember when tempted to immorality. The first fact about our union with Christ that helps us combat sexual immorality is the divine reality. The divine reality. Again, the first half of verse 15, he asks this rhetorical question. The answer is expecting an affirmative, positive answer. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Yes, we do. We know that. This is a fitting segue from the truths that Paul taught us last week regarding our present physical earthly bodies and our future resurrection bodies. And that is a a bit of a, a misnomer, you understand, because the very truth of our resurrected bodies is that they will be earthly and they will be physical and they will be here forever. But you understand what I mean. Our today bodies. Specifically, that there's a connection between this body today and the resurrection body in the future. More specifically, we are to live in light of the resurrection by living holy lives today. The theme of everything we're looking at is God's body, God's choice. And here Paul gives us yet another indication of how true this is by saying that we are members of Jesus Christ. With the word members in the Greek, Paul is not talking about an individual that belongs to an organization, not someone who just belongs to a club. This isn't just participation. The word member is speaking of a limb, a body part. Each and every Christian is part of the spiritual body of Christ. You've heard it before that we say that the church is not an organization, it's an organism. And we are all parts of that organism, the body of Christ. Now we will see when we get to chapter 12, uh, this metaphor is elaborated upon. You, many of you are familiar with this chapter where the church is compared to the physical human body. Same principle, same idea, same metaphor that he's using briefly here. The truth flows, this truth flows directly out of the theology of verse 14 that we saw last week that speaks of the oneness of Christ's resurrection and our resurrections. Verse 14 said, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. And we talked about last week about how this is not two separate, just, oh, he was resurrected, so we know we'll be resurrected. But no, they are, they are together. They are part of one another. The power of his resurrection is active in our lives because we are members of the living God. And to go full circle, he is the living God because he was resurrected. Our belonging to Christ is not partial. It is complete. 
And we saw this in the distinction between soul and body or spirit and body last week. That is, it's not just our souls and spirits that belong to God as evidenced by the bodily resurrection. The fact that we will live in eternity in physical bodies and not just in spirit. And this complete union references our physical bodies as well. Every aspect of our physical bodies and all that it is involved in belongs to God. So it's not just the, the blood, you see, it's not just the molecules, it's anything that we use our physical bodies for belongs to the Lord. So what do you mean by that? I mean our time, I mean our talents, I mean our emotions, all of that. And as such, the human body is to be an instrument of the Lord for the Lord's glory. Unlike your relationship with your boss or your kids, it's not just nine to five when you're at work or with your kids five to nine when you're back home. We are with the Lord and can do all things and are to do all things for his glory. We should do all things for his glory 24-7 and wherever you are. Even the seemingly small and mundane things, which is why Paul will let her say, do all things the glory of God. What's before that? Whether you eat or drink. Even the sipping of that water, even the eating of that snack or meal. And the point is everything, not just the big things, not just the church attendance, not just the raising of the children, but even how you eat and sleep, use the bathroom, all of those little things, how you drive, how you wake up, how you dress. Of course, those are the small things, and it goes on from there. With that in mind... We understand that our bodies are to be used in the best way, not only for Christ, but also in our relationship with others based on our relationship with Christ and how he wants us to treat those relationships, not just Christians, but unbelievers as well. To put it another way, our union with Christ affects not only our relationships to God, but also our bodily relationships with others And this truth is why Paul is coming down so hard on sexual immorality. How you use your body with another body, Christian or not. And so we have to understand the divine reality. That however you use your body, and especially if you are going to use it for sexually immoral purposes, you are using a limb of Jesus Christ to accomplish that. And that first foundational fact is so important to understand, to remember, when you're tempted to do anything that is unfit for a body redeemed and connected to Jesus Christ. And this leads us to our second fact about our union with Christ. Remember, when tempted to immorality, if the divine reality is that we are connected to Jesus Christ, the second fact is the destructive replacement. The destructive replacement. And you'll see that he doesn't just say, this is bad. If you do this, this is bad. No. As we just looked at the divine reality of our union with Christ. But when we don't live out that union properly, when our lives don't reflect that divine union, it is because we are neglecting, ignoring, and replacing that relationship. And here, Paul addresses one of the worst, if not the worst, humanly possible replacements. Second part of verse 15. You members of Christ... Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Let's look at these words carefully. He doesn't say misuse. 
He says, make members of. Understanding the first principle of union with Christ, this principle is very clear. As members of the body of Christ, you wouldn't take that member, your physical body, and join it with a prostitute. Because by doing so, you make yourself a member of that prostitute. Note the emphasis here. He doesn't say, shall I then take my body and make it a member of a prostitute? No, he says, shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? I get that. You say, I get it. He just said that. Why repeat it? Because he's emphasizing the grossness of your sin and the beauty of what you are. When you engage in sexual immorality, and in this case, prostitution, you are taking that part of Christ's body, that member of Christ, away from him. You are tearing it off. You are severing it and attaching it, attaching it to a prostitute. It's a picture of not just misusing or borrowing for something bad. It's a picture of taking from one and willingly, voluntarily giving to another. What belongs to Christ. And it highlights the utter incompatibility of union with Christ and union with the immoral. What's more, this act is a denial that your body is for the Lord. It's not even saying it's for her or for him. You're saying it's fully for you. It deprives the Lord of what belongs to him. Not like a whiny child say, hey, that's mine. He died for it. He redeemed you for it. He didn't just save you from, he saved you to. On the one hand, prostitutes in Paul's day were very different than what we would consider a prostitute today. They were often well-educated, intellectual, and artistic, and used that in their vocation. The way they entertained was not merely by engaging in sexual vices, but also through stimulating an intellectual conversation, poetry, song, dance, storytelling. Uh, you've seen this depicted in television and movies that show you what the Roman Empire was like. They're sitting there giggling and drinking wine and talking it up. And so these women fulfilled the pleasure of both the mind and the body. There was, in fact, a school for prostitutes in Corinth. Not a school that prostitutes can attend, a school to train women to be prostitutes because there was so much more involved than just their bodies. The gross but common view or cliche back then was that a wife was wonderful and suitable for having children and watching over the man's daily affairs. But for pleasure and fun, we have the prostitutes. And understand that there were, as I mentioned last week, there were even temple prostitutes, specifically in Corinth at the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and so there were prostitutes there that were part of the worship. But on the other hand, while prostitution has changed from that day, it is still sinful and it appeals to the base desires of man. And today prostitution is no longer just for men, but for all genders. And they come in all genders and distortions of gender. Today prostitutes are unnecessary to engage in illicit behavior as there are plenty of normal, law-abiding, good citizens who would happily seek these things out. And so even though Paul is addressing a specific type of person and immorality, he is also addressing a general type of behavior, any and all sexual immorality. The context, of course, on a very broad, on a very broad level, we can use all of these points in this passage to guard us against the temptation or resist the temptation to flee the temptation, to use Paul's words later on, 
of, of, of any, any temptation of sexual immorality, but you got to understand that there's the physical joining of a member of the body of Christ to another person involves you joining with another person. But please understand it is all the same thing and doesn't need to involve prostitution to be immoral or to create the act of removing Christ and joining to another. One way to look at it is that Paul is not so much speaking of an individual. He is talking about an entire categorization or an entire confederate of evil. A force that is anti-God, not just in beliefs, but is actively at war against him. You understand this, and, and maybe we've been uh, distracted by social movements and politics, but on a spiritual level, you understand that the world we live in, the world in which we are called to flesh out our membership in Christ's body, is not neutral. It is depraved. It is evil. We are at war, not against movements, not against politicians. This is a battlefield. And every single Christian and non-Christian, whether they believe it or not, is a soldier, a combatant. Every sermon you hear, every relationship that you have, every conversation you have with anyone has the power to draw an individual closer to heaven or closer to hell. Everyone. Every article you read in your newsfeed, every headline, every meme. How do you respond in all of these things? It doesn't matter if it's a prostitute in a pagan temple, a prostitute trying to make a living, or an average American, average American, and you understand, I am not exaggerating here, who simply does not believe sex is to be limited to the marriage relationship. To take a step back from the trees, the specifics, and back to the forest, the overview, Paul asks the question and answers it with the strongest of negatives, may it never be. It is the strongest of negatives. As I alluded to, this kind of immoral behavior is the norm these days. It can be easy to think that it's just one night. It's just a simple act. I didn't hurt anyone. It wasn't a crime. The other party was complicit and in full agreement. He came on to me. She was flirting with me. It's no big deal. You couldn't be more wrong. May it never be. And that leads us to our third fact, the distinctive relationship. Verse 16, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. Brutal. Brutal, Paul. The first part, yes, I get it, it's bad, and then he quotes Genesis 2.24. Brutal. But that's how wrong it is. Let me explain. It is Genesis 2.24 that Paul quotes here. It is one of the most fundamental and important verses that teach us about the sanctity and uniqueness of marriage. Not sex, marriage. Right there in the beginning. He gets this after seeing Eve come out of Adam creating Eve from a rib of Adam, and then he says this. It is the very foundation of marriage, biblical marriage. We often know it as the leave and cleave verse because the beginning, which Paul doesn't quote here, says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What is the reason a man shall leave his parents and be joined to his wife? That very order 
of the creation of mankind. This was the plan. This was the purpose of union between a male and a female. And what's important in our context in 1 Corinthians is what God says about marital union. In Genesis 2.24, the reference is to legitimate biblical marriage. And that's what this verse is known for. It speaks of the wonderful, special bond and God-ordained and God-honoring and God-blessed union between a husband and his wife. This same union, which Paul now uses to describe sexually immoral acts with another person. That's how significant the sin is. What we're talking about here is sex. In God's design... Sexual union is a real and enduring bond that is for marriage only. In other words, with your spouse only. Not someone who isn't your spouse. Not even someone, as you're preparing for your wedding, is going to be your spouse in a few hours. It's not for you. Your spouse. Period. That's it. It's not just about disobedience. It's not just about sin. It's about a union in this case with a prostitute that is akin to marriage. Listen carefully, friends. The joining that he talks about between a man and a, and a prostitute or any two unmarried people implies that they are wedded together, though there are no wedding vows. In God's eyes, there is no such thing as casual sex. Even in the marriage, as we get to 1 Corinthians 7, we will see that it's a big deal. There's no such thing as casual sex, all such behavior has enduring consequences, even when there's a mutual agreement that there's no intention for any attachment. Because in God's eyes, there is. We see it right here. All the reasons that God gave us Genesis 2.24 was all positive. It emphasizes the beautiful and real bond that is created in marriage by God. It is used in Malachi 2 to stress the importance of the marriage bond by prohibiting divorce. And here... It is used to tell us the depth of the grossness of immorality. It is not insignificant. Don't be fooled. Be very clear. The two shall become one flesh is not just a euphemism for sex. This is speaking of the profound and special bond that a man has with his wife in the biblically ordained marriage bed. Paul is saying when you give that to someone else, when you practice premarital or extra marital sex, you're giving that special bond to someone else. There is no such thing as just sex within or without marriage. When it comes to the physical body, we must have a high view of it as an entity, but also the behavior we exhibit with the body. Why? Because it belongs to the Lord. And when, when it comes to fornication, faithfulness and purity are what we are to pursue. And so let me give you a fourth fact about our union with Christ, the dependent resemblance. But, on the other hand, verse 17, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. There is more than just union or being united with Christ. There is also unity, oneness, harmony. I spoke about this when we, when we began this morning. As Christians, we have joined ourselves to the Lord, or rather he has joined himself to us. In so doing, Paul says here, we become one spirit with him. This is the vital spiritual union with the Lord, which results in unity, meaning we are now controlled by the Lord. He and us, he and we now have the same goal, the same desire, the same will, the same mind, and you have the ability to do it with his strength, 
Our spirit is joined with Christ's spirit. And this kind of unity that we have with Jesus Christ in spirit is the most intimate type of union that can exist while still maintaining our own personal identities. He, his, and us, ours as individuals. It doesn't get more intimate. It doesn't get better than that. So why would you take that and create a union with someone else that is in conflict with this holy partnership, this holy wedlock with you and Christ? When we join ourselves with another in an immoral union, we create a division between our bodies, with which we commit the indecent act, and our spirit, which belongs to Christ and desires His will. As believers, we should submit to the will of God and allow His Spirit to become the command center for our bodies. This would then rule out any contact with prostitutes or the like because every molecule of our bodies is to be given for service for our Lord. In other words, we resemble Him, Christ-likeness, and we depend on Him. Dependent resemblance. But you know... And we praise God for this. In His perfect wisdom and sovereignty, we are not puppets. We are not robots. We have the freedom to serve Him and choose to serve Him in everything we do. But unfortunately, that gives us the opportunity to choose to do the opposite. We must remember our resemblance and dependence upon Him. So what do we do? This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.